Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1029. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil, and with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. How are you guys? Well, I'm not good. I'm really upset because Stephen is skiing still. He's been skiing for five oh, days, which means friend. he's going to be so loaded with stories about the outdoors. No, because Annalise We're is here. Gonna... I went fat biking. Because Annalise and nice. I to talk about fat biking. Because it's yeah, a spiking is... on snow. That's what you do. Yeah. How was it? You guys it? have lost me already. Well, I, I only fell about four times. But my favorite part of fat biking is seeing where everybody else has fallen and their body prints being in the snow. <laughs> it's the best part about fat biking. You guys just continue. I'm going to be texting Zane about indoor things. Hey, listen, go. No, no one else cares. But does the NFL thing matter at all, Corinne? Did you? <laughs> oh, we, no, we, only outdoor sports. Yeah, we talk no, about. but I thought I'd give it a try with him. He sometimes that was pays nice. Attention. Yeah, the Chargers collapse. I assume you're referring to. I don't know. Did it's they possible. really? Weren't they up like twenty-seven to nothing? I think it was 29. Either way, yeah, yeah it didn't didn't happen. See, Annalise, one fact, way to go. Yeah, Annalise was asking what a one fact was, and I thought, you know what, show don't tell. Show don't tell. <laughs> and uh, that's what I did there. Yeah, way to go. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, do we have more sports talk, or are we uh, are we jumping into the politics? Really up to I don't you, even know if any of that qualifies as sports talk. Um, there was fat bike. I'm skiing in Panorama. Right. So we skied yesterday. We're skiing tomorrow. You know, I'm an athlete. This is what we do. You want to give your address uh, and tell people where you're not currently at home, too, oh, while no. you're at it? No, I don't. Because, uh, yeah, we'll be back soon, you bastards. They don't, no one knows where I live. You don't even know where I live. I'm fine. <laughs> He's got two dogs now, so they can uh, That's true. hold down that for And they're hungry because he just left oh, them yeah. to go skiing. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we really do need to increase the Patreon. Because <laughs> have to pay the dogs, and uh, I did get uh, Amazon Prime, so I'm pretty excited. So, oh, that's that. So, uh, Disney Plus, though, still no, still no Disney Plus. Annalise, what's your thoughts on Disney Plus versus uh, Amazon Prime? Go. No, none of it. Just use your brother's Netflix password for years and years and years. At least you're like an adult now, right? You can't do that. Yeah, yeah. That's I, I don't. I don't watch very often. He's had the same password for years. That's uh, that's where we're at. What is his password, yeah. Annalise, just out of curiosity? Uh, I'm not thinking because it actually is an insult to me is what his password is. And that's why I still remember it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's, oh. See, yep. that backfired on him pretty bad. Yeah, it, it did. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. it sure did. Uh, okay. On that note. Yeah, we're now three minutes in. That's our requisite three minutes of pissing off the uh, the <laughs> listeners. Yeah, we're ge- we're gonna talk uh, we're gonna talk politics uh, really? first. Yeah, that's what we're here for. First segment, uh, Smith's COVID pardon promise. This one involves a little background, uh, so bear with me. But I'll jump into some okay, quick Zane, questions. You just do what you need to do. Soon. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna rewind to Thursday. Is when this all starts. Premier Daniel Smith is at a press conference in Edmonton. Um, and she says that she had asked Alberta Crown prosecutors about charges related to COVID-19 health violation- violations. She also said something similar to Rebel News in December. Media write stories. It's Friday. She walks this back. Her office sends out a statement. Um, they say she had discussions with the justice minister and attorney general and the deputy attorney general. The statement says at no point has she communicated with Crown prosecutors, as she had previously said. Again, media write stories. And then it's Saturday. Uh, she does her little radio show that she does. And she says on air that she has urged Minister Shandro 
and his deputy attorney general to consider whether the cases were in the public interest and whether there was a reasonable chance of conviction before proceeding. So she's now told media three different things and there are more stories. Uh, before I jump into my questions, which is to come, I think it's just worth mentioning former UCP Justice Minister Casey Madu um, was temporarily removed as Justice Minister for interfering in uh, the judicial process over a traffic ticket. So I'll uh, I'll leave it at that. Carter, let's start with you. What's going on? What do you make of all of this? Is she is she lying? That's what the uh, NDP opposition say. Is she just being, you know, flippant with her language? Does she not know how the justice system works? What is uh, what's Premier Smith doing? Well, she was either lying the first time or the second time or the third time. One of those times she's probably lying. So that that's an easiest Occam's razor type of, uh, of, of a understanding of what she's actually doing. But then there's another reason or rationale for what she's doing, and that is to uh, ensure that she is appealing to her base. There is a base of people. Um, like I'm not sure, Annalise. Maybe, maybe you've been following these trials of the 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 pastors that are promised pardons by Premier Smith. Um, but I'm not following those tri those those trials. Um, I'm sure there's somewhere though. There's a very small group of of Danielle Smith supporters that are following them, and her signaling to those to those folks of she's still in trying to influence the independent uh, process of the prosecutors. I think that the first lie, I, and I do think it was a lie, but I think that the first lie was told to win over uh, that group of, of potential voters because that's been her modus operandi. She always makes sure that she's signaling to her brace and then she moves away from it. And that's what she's done from Thursday until today. But she's premier now. Why does she need to signal to her base? Like, who are they going to vote for instead of her? Rachel? So, well, there's two experiences that Danielle Smith has gone through that always push her into to uh, signaling to her base. Uh, the first experience was when she won the Wild Rose leadership. Um, she felt that the base carried her there. And she will always signal to that base because that base is the group of people that took her there. And the second thing is in 2015, as leader of the Wild Rose, when she crossed over, the reason that she was crossing over wasn't because she thought it was a great idea. It was because she was losing the caucus that she was leaving behind. There were essentially two caucuses in the Wild Rose, much the same way as there's two caucuses or three caucuses in the UCP. And she knows that by holding the base, she at the very least holds most of the caucus. So that's what she's trying to do is hold the base and hold the caucus. And she will, I would be willing to bet that you would never be able to pry her fingers out of that base uh, for as long as she serves as UCP leader. Corey, what's your take here? What's uh, what's her strategy? And is do you agree with what Carter's saying? I, I mean, so you asked Carter, is she lying? Is she being flippant? Does she not know how the justice system works? Well, I, I don't think any of those are mutually exclusive. And it's it's a combination uh, it's also a bit of that old radio host, uh, tall tale stuff. I caught a fish that was this big. I talked to a crown prosecutor that was this convinced, right? And you got to consider who she was talking to when this story originally came out. It was Ezra Levant. And then, of course, she repeated it. And then everybody rolled the tape on Ezra Levant and said, wait, you've said this a couple of times. Maybe you shouldn't be interfering in the justice system. And I think that, um, 
I agree. My my gut is that she never talked to a crown prosecutor, and there's a simple Occam's razor version of that. How is she going to talk to a crown prosecutor? Does she have a bunch of them? Is she picking up the phone and just randomly dialing them? Is she is she choosing them? Uh, I, I, it just I feel like she she would not be able to put together the pieces to do that. And the most obvious person she's going to talk to if she has a problem about this in the justice system is. The deputy minister, the attorney general, the deputy attorney general, not really sure that it's appropriate for her to be talking about a case with those individuals either. Uh, but here we are. And to be fair, it's quite possible, you know, to see your point about does she just not know how the justice system works, that she was using prosecutor in just this insanely general term, right, including the person who the prosecutors report to, uh, the manager of the prosecutors, which would be the attorney general. So, you know, it's all very possible. But I think ultimately what comes down to is she knows that the people who put her in the job really want her to well, and actually, let's just say she believes this, right? I mean, she she stood up there and she said that uh, she thought that people who uh, did not get vaccines were the most discriminated against people in you know history. History is a pretty long time in her lifetime. I think she actually said, to be fair, well, still be a fair. pretty long time. Don't be fair. Yeah. Um, so I, I think she, it's a combination of she believes this. She doesn't quite understand the system. She was exaggerating the details. It's all of the above. So what what next are we do we think there will be re- repercussions? I know there's chat of look at what Trudeau did with uh, the SNC Lavalin con- controversy. There's talk of Madhu. Like what uh, what what next, Corey? Let's kick it to you. Yeah, I mean, you know what I always think about when I think about situations like this. I don't think there is a next. I guess is the short answer, and and the reason is because the standard is different. Um, for for her and her supporters. Um, I think about Barack Obama. So Barack Obama, you remember his whole like the birth certificate, the birther movement, the idea that he wasn't actually born in Hawaii, but he was in fact born in Africa, right? Yeah. There was some yeah, suggestion we're, we're of this. familiar with the story. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Even if he was born in Africa, it would have been to an American citizen and he would have had instant American citizenship and he would have been eligible to run for president of the United States. Like, like Ted and Cruz? Like Ted Cruz. This is my point. So Ted Cruz was uh, born in Calgary, Alberta, our hometown, and he was born to American citizens and instantly had citizenship and was eligible to be president of the United States. Ted Cruz actually lived the life that Barack Obama was accused of living you know, just swap Africa for Canada, and we can talk about the racism inherent in all of that too. But basically, the entire birther movement was to try to prove something that would have still allowed Barack Obama to run for president, and to my point, something that they were happy to give Ted Cruz a pass for, because Ted Cruz was on their side. So I don't think there's a next, because I think that, um, you know, it's just not a line of attack that you're going to find as many people willing to trumpet. Uh, and, you know, I don't think that's a good thing. I, I think that's a bad thing. But they're, they're going to give her a pass for this. Carter, do you agree? Well, I think I have to. I mean, but not necessarily for the same reason as Corey. I mean, who's who's they? Right. Who Who is it that's going to come in? I mean, if she had spoken to. Uh, the prosecutors, then maybe there would have been, you know, some sort of consequence a la uh, Casey Madu, as you brought up, Annalise. But that um, 
first of all, Casey Maddy was a minister, not the premier. And the difference between being the minister and the premier uh, is significant. I mean, our, our friend Kent Hare was a minister in Trudeau's government. Trudeau and Kent Hare faced uh, similar accusations at similar times. One of them still prime minister and one of them is a failed federal politician. Um, that is just the way that it works. She's the prime minister. Or she's the premier, the first minister. She's not going to face any ramifications except for those that the electorate chooses to de- to to de- to deal out. And I'm not sure if the electorate actually chooses um, to uh, to deal out any consequence at all based on that particular issue. There are way more pressing issues that the electorate's going to keep in the front of their uh, th- in the front of their brains when they're choosing who to who to actually uh, well, go for. Well, I mean, let's be fair. The other thing is it's in the case of the Trudeau one that happened, right? Like everybody's pretty clear that happened. Yeah. One of the things we're talking about here is we're not even convinced that she actually called exactly. a crown prosecutor. In a funny way, she she flexed and created a story of something that was against the law that she didn't actually do. It's like she's a thirteen year old talking about all the weed she bought last week, right? Like it's just not, it's, you know, it's just like trying to look cool for her friends. I guess I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not so clear cut, and it's a little harder to to pin this one down. Is that, I guess, do you think we're going to see more of that? We're what, middle of January, elections at the end of May, we've got four more months. Is there going to be, if this is who she is, is there going to be a lot more flexing? We're going to see the, you know, day of media story, the next day, the pundits. Do we have a lot more of this to look forward to? Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, and there's a lot of this here. One of the things that's interesting about what we've seen in Daniel Smith since she became premier is um, this is kind of a rhythm. There's a bit of a running joke now about how there's just a template for the walk back in the Smith office, right? It's the statement, the reversal of the statement, you know, there's variants of the reversal, but it, it's pretty clear that she she speaks before she thinks about the consequences of this. And I think that's perhaps a consequence of have been been a pundit, a radio host, which is exactly why, you know, we can never run for office. Uh, but it, it's, it's filling air. She's filling air and then she's realizing there's consequences and she's having to walk it back. And we've seen lots of versions of that, but we've seen that basic plot half a dozen times, at least at this point. How quickly Corey forgets Christy Clark. Christy Clark became premier <laughs> after doing this shit. I mean, we can do anything. We can do anything, Chris. Don't tell Annalise that her, her future career is over. She's going to get elected <laughs> next month, and that Never shit's done. Never, oh, shit's over now, anyways. I meant you. I meant you specifically. Oh, no, I can't run. I pretended yeah. I meant all of us, but it's, <laughs> it's one of those cute. things where it's like, you know, Stephen it's the run. person who, yeah. it's like, you know, I say it for all of the group, but I really mean for one. No, I, I misunderstood that. That was my own bad. Uh, Stephen, put your strategist hat on. Let's say it's Monday and she's going to go talk to media again. Media will ask her about this. Uh, what's what's the strategy? What's your advice for her? What what should she do? Or should she answer the question? Should she ignore it? Should she tell us? I think she should just simply double double down, right? And she should say, I have answered the same question three times the same way. And you guys are hearing it different. It's not my issue that you're hearing this differently than I mean it. 
I mean it the exact same way every time I say it. And what I'm trying to say is that the general population doesn't give a shit about this. And I'll tell you something, they don't care right now about whether or not, you know, which words I'm using to cover prosecutor or anything like that. General population wants to move past COVID. And I think that that's where people are going to do. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. What do you mean? I'll tell you this. That's really Um, good stuff. Well, because like, is it, is that's just going to kick the story potentially again. All of a sudden there's a headline, Danielle Smith, like fight, you know, robots fights, you know. I, I don't know. I, I think that that's a problem. Oh, if I Danielle were Smith her, gets another headline. Is a problem for Danielle Smith? Has that well, ever is, been? This is your headline. Sure it is. It's no problem. Danielle Smith says she's been entirely consistent is now the headline. It's a great headline. Is that the headline, though? I guess. I don't think that's the headline. Though. Annalise would totally write that Look, headline. <laughs> I don't know I, no, about I the mean, headline. You just oh. shut it down. You don't fight with them. You say, listen, my statement from yesterday's stance, my statement from yesterday's stance. I have nothing to add to my statement from yesterday. Uh, you just starve it of oxygen. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, the most noble or the boldest strategy, but what else do you have here? And people will say, well, what did you mean by this? I have nothing to add to this statement. And it's just a lot harder to write a story on that than it is to write when somebody goes full ham at the microphone about how you dummies aren't listening to me. I've always been consistent. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. That's fantastic. We should do an online Twitter poll. Uh, and Elon Musk this. <laughs> Corey, is the strategy then just to avoid media for a few days and, and wait until the next issue? I, I, we're never that far from the next issue. And I suspect instead what she will do is just move to it um maybe it's a void maybe that's the the right phrasing of it but i well what do we got we've got the legislature coming back at the end of february there's nothing really that forces you to take questions before then unless you put yourself in front of it daniel smith has shown she's she's absolutely fine with saying that's not on the topic i'm not going to answer that so you know her version of avoiding could even physically have her in the room frankly over the next bit but yeah, I, I mean, if there's one thing we've learned from the uh, first few months of the Danielle Smith premiership, actually, if there's one thing we've learned since 2016, and maybe we should have learned it before, is that we all move on so quickly, right? I, just think about the – Carter and I were talking about this in the last episode. Uh, we did a bit of a Patreon special talking about, about an Alberta election preview. There are so many – things that happened in October, the poll numbers for Danielle Smith were terrible. And they all rebounded by the end of November, start of December, because nobody cares. Like nobody, nobody can hold a care about it long enough, it seems, in order for it to have a significant consequence. And as long as she's not going to be held to account by her party, by the caucus, I just don't think the public has enough of a care. Carter, you want to jump in there? Yeah, I mean, you, 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 in your preface, you know, preface to the question, which was uh, agreeably short. So thank you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You you were essentially asking, you know, are we going to see this every day? And I I do think that we addressed a bit of that in the last episode, which was, yes, we are going to see this every day because this is Daniel Smith. This is how, how she operates. She screwed up in 2015. She screwed up in 2012. She'll screw up and, you know, like she screws up at every step of the way is part of her story because because she's offside with a large chunk of the Alberta population. Um, 
she is on message more than we think that she's on message. But and this is where we were we're at the beginning saying she was lying, yes, but she was lying with a specific intent to bringing along her core audience. This is what she needs to do in her mind to ensure that she's able to maintain uh, her core audience and the people that she thinks she needs in order to win the next election. I would argue they're an anchor. I think Corey would argue they're an anchor. But um, you know. Who are Corey and I, except one really good strategist that wins and and Corey? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, one of the things that's been interesting about these last couple of days is you're starting to see tweets from that core of Danielle Smith saying, oh, same old, same old, just like Kenny, Kenny 2.0, not actually going to stand up, not actually going to put doctors in jail. I mean, that last one's a bit of an exaggeration. Not much. Not much, unfortunately. Um I don't know. I'm, that base it can be a little bit fickle too. They they do have a, a bit of a history of eating their own. So it's going to be a wild ride, I think, over the next bit. Um, I have more there, but I am looking at the time. I have been told not to to make this last for hours and hours. So let's well, move on to our next back topic up for a second. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> we're doing it. We're doing don't, it. You don't take stage direction from Corey and I. Okay, this is the way. This is not the way this works. Yep. Uh, Corey and I are, um, we're just passengers. You call the shots. We just answer the question. I'm steering this ship. That damn right you are. So if you got more questions, Zane has made an entire episode out of a fucking Dairy Queen. So you can do anything you want. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like you covered some of it in the Patreon episode that I did not listen to because I am not a Patreon. What? (laughs) <laughs> oh, this is it's very over. upsetting. End of episode right yeah, there. This is tragic. Uh, okay, well, let's just go to one kind of super insider thing here. And it was, uh, Corey, I think you had mentioned it. This this not on topic, right? She's in front of media. She's answering, says it's not on topic. I'm not answering it. Uh, again, both of you, strategists had on. Is that effective? I know as a former reporter and someone who still stays in touch with reporters, it it, it is they hate it. It pisses them off a ton. Um, yeah. But they're, you know, general public, do do they care? Does it matter? Or can't she just keep doing that? I don't think the general public – well, like, listen, Stephen Harper did this forever. And I remember in the – what was it? The 2011 election, Michael Ignatieff versus Stephen Harper. Uh, you know, And actually, Jack Layton ended up coming in second. So maybe I should say Stephen Harper versus that. But – Michael Ignatieff would make a big show of taking everybody's question until exhaustion, absolute exhaustion. And Stephen Harper would say five questions. And no matter what those five questions were, that he would answer whatever the topic of the day was that he wanted people to hear. And reporters fucking hated it. They they loathed it. They made them really upset. And I think reporters wrote a few process stories about Michael Ignatieff's process versus Stephen Harper's, and they were pretty complimentary about Michael Ignatieff's accessibility versus Stephen Harper. But here's the problem. Stephen Harper's strategy did work, right? I mean, one one of the things that is just a truism is it's very hard to write a story if nobody's willing to play with you and give you a quote. I mean, you can can say this better than I can, Annalise, but they – uh, you know, there were so many random and not helpful stories for the liberals that came out of that 2011 campaign, in part because Michael Ignatieff would answer any question. And so when we talk about message discipline, usually we talk about what we're intentionally putting out there and trying to make sure that those things are of a consistent package. But it is also message discipline on the receiving. So if somebody asks you a question, how do you turn that question into the answer you want to give? Michael Ignatieff and Stephen Harper 
both gave very extreme examples of that. Michael Ignatieff gave the extreme example of, I will answer everything exactly as you asked it. It turned out to be deeply unhelpful because it created a very confusing campaign for the liberals, created a bunch of stories that were not helpful. Stephen Harper gave the extreme the other way, uh, and that was the, I don't care what you asked, I'm just going to tell you about the thing that was here today. Danielle Smith's is a step beyond that because Stephen Harper would just turn everything into that, right? You know, it would be yeah. like, what, what's important here is this. Danielle Smith will just actively say, we're not answering questions on that. But I, I never saw the public care that much. And maybe it would have been more consequential if the baselines had been a bit different. But I think that the media was fairly frustrated with the Stephen Harper approach before the election. And so it's not as though there was a lot of charity lost. Uh, they were starting at a zero tank of charity. And Harper just said, well, OK, I'm just going to run it to maximum message discipline then. And I think where Ignatieff really screwed up was thinking that filling that tank of media charity beyond where it was would do him any good whatsoever. Carter, you agree? Yeah. I'm, um, yeah. I mean, I, I went uh, – I'm really glad you asked because – I was worried there for a second that just Corey was going to get the chance to answer that question. And I went off and uh, today, you know, on my mountain biking, my mountain biking trails, I went to two different places. And the first place wasn't as good. It was, it was kind of slushy and icy. But the second place, um, wow, Annalise, you got to see the snow. The snow was fantastic. It was really deep um, and super uh, well formed. So I had really good traction. Uh, without studs, which I thought was fantastic. Anyways, thanks for the question. And uh, we'll just move on, I guess, to the next topic. What, why are you biking, not skiing? Is the snow that bad for skiing? I'm Okay, I'm very old and we can't ski two days in a row. Okay, but thanks for embarrassing me. Thank you. <laughs> not, that's not the answer I was expecting. It's quite icy. You could have just said the snow is bad. It's quite icy. It's actually right not now. too bad up, up top. Up top was pretty good. And okay. uh, groomers no, are pretty fun in the morning. Groomers. Oh, Carter. Uh, moving on. Just in the morning, Annalise. I will, that's it. We're going skiing. I'm going to ski you into the ground, young lady. Moving now on to our next segment. Uh, let's chat staff. A couple different parts to this. On Friday, Ryan Hastman, who was chief of staff for uh, Minister Rajan Sani and most recently a director in Smith's office, he said on Twitter he's leaving the legislature. Um, but that's not all. We also saw this week that UCP MLA Pat Wren, he officially says he won't be running for re-election in Lesser Slave Lake. For those listeners um, who may be thinking like I was, who is Pat Wren and why do I know that name? He was kicked out of caucus for six months in 2021. Um, that was after local leaders complained he was actually never in the constituency. And you may have also seen the Facebook photos that made the rounds in 2020 of him in a cave in Mexico, wishing everyone a Merry Christmas um, at the time when the government told everyone to stay home during that COVID Christmas. So anyways, two different, obviously one of those is a staffer, one is an elected official, um, but I think there's different threads here that we can dive into. Let's start with the staff departure. Uh, Corey, we'll start with you. Were you surprised by this? What do you make of this? Uh, you were a few months before an election. Why leave now? Yeah, um, I was surprised and not. Um, it's surprising that he took a job in Danielle Smith's office and then months later mm -hmm. was gone. That, that certainly strongly suggests it just didn't work out in some way, shape, or form, right? Either he was dissatisfied or they were dissatisfied. But it rarely says everything is fine uh, when somebody leaves that soon after taking a job. 
But on the flip side, somebody leaving this close to an election, super common, right? You start saying, well, maybe this is as high as my stock's going to be. Who knows what this election's going to happen? You know, what's going to occur during this? Maybe I'd rather test the corporate sector market now and see if I can find myself a job where my government connections mean something than risk there being an NDP government and my government connections actively hurting me in, in that particular role. So that's super possible there too. But the combination of the two, it's, it's tough for me to see exactly where the balance is. But on net, because he just started the role, I have to assume that there just wasn't a fit. Uh, it, to me, it, it would be kind of weird otherwise, because even if he had signaled, hey, listen, I'm thinking of leaving, but I'm not thinking of leaving right now. You wouldn't have given him the role he got. You would have just kept him as a chief of staff somewhere. God knows they need a lot of them, how many bloody ministers they have right exactly. now. Exactly. And so that was a bit confusing. Yeah. Carter, do well, you think this is the start of more? You know, I, I, and let's just back up and think timelines here. She became premier in October. You've got the first couple of months. December's kind of a write-off with Christmas, New Year, election in May. Um, do you think we're going to see more of these sorts of staff departures as we get closer to the election? Not necessarily staff departures. Um, you know, a lot. we just had a significant staff departure. When Jason Kenney left... Uh, most of his staff left with him. The, pre the premier's office, uh, I mean, essentially every minister's office was up for grabs and everybody was able to be shuffled into the positions that they wanted to have, whatever those positions might be. Um, this was a position I think that Ryan Hasman wanted. It's in the premier's office. It's in, it's in the center. Um, but I don't think that he was leaving because it turned out to be such a great job. Uh, I think, in fact, he was leaving because it turned out to not be the job that he wanted. There's a lot of... Uh, rumor and innuendo that things aren't going well in that office, that it's a hard office to be in. Um, you can see that with your previous topic. You know, three different days, three different messages isn't uh, an office that people that are trying to run the show really feel comfortable in. Uh, and I want to separate uh, Corey did a piss poor job of this, but there's two, there's two different things that were happening. The first is the staffers leaving. Seeing staffers leave, I'm totally unexpected, is totally unexpected. Seeing MLAs leave, this is when they leave. They leave in the last six months. They make sure that someone else can get, uh, nominated. And this was a candidate, you know, that, that wasn't supported by his area. I'm not sure if a nomination race had been held. I'm assuming that it hadn't. Um, and I think that, you know, he would have been facing, uh, severe challenges. So him leaving, uh, absolutely on par. You know, this, that's when it's supposed to happen. Uh, Ryan Hastman had choices uh, three months ago. He made his choice uh, to be with Danielle Smith, and now he is looking for the first available exit. Um, and so, and you know, I, I guess we could also take the uh, assumption that maybe this wasn't his choice. Um, provincial politics—you well, we don't know that, but when you so this is one of the things that I, I would say that. Ryan leaving is enough to raise an eyebrow, but it's probably not in itself enough to kind of guarantee a narrative or a story. Like, we just don't know. There's just too many things that could be happening. Uh, because, of course, Ryan was there before and it worked for Sonny and, and all of that, yada, yada. But if we start seeing that cast of characters that Smith herself brought in new, if you start seeing shuffling there, changes there, that really tells you a story of discord uh, within the organization. And it's something to watch out for because there is a there is an arc, right? There is a way this happened. I can tell you this is the story of everybody who's ever been in Danielle Smith's position and starts fucking up. The first time is 
blame the people that are here that were here before. And you see this happen with the public service and you hear, see this happen with political yeah. staff. They're not really on board, Premier. That's our problem. They're not on board. we got to have your people in these positions. Boom. All of a sudden – and I don't know that's what happened. I just want to say. But like this is the first chapter in this particular book. Boom. All of a sudden, the political staff who were there before, they're gone. Public servants, same deal. The reason why we're having so much trouble, they don't really believe yep. in you. That's page one. Page two is her staff. You know, all of a sudden it becomes premier, we'd support you, but your staff, there's a real problem with your staff, and you got to switch them out too. And then chapter three is the chapter you don't want to read if you're premier, because that's your job. That's the one that happens next, right? You may have ministers in there as kind of like a chapter 2B, but this is how it goes. It always starts. You know, it's a blame game, and it starts with the people that is easiest to blame, and it moves towards the people hardest to blame. So what's happening behind the scenes right now? Like, let's let's just go down the path. Obviously, we don't know what happened, but let's go down the path that this is the start of more. Um, someone has left. It's raising eyebrows. She knows that. The people close to her know that. Other people in that office are also not happy. They're thinking of leaving. You guys have been in those back rooms. You've been in those offices. Uh, what is happening behind the scenes? What is she doing? I think that the number one thing that she's doing is trying to figure out where everybody's loyalty lies. Um, this isn't an office that's been staffed from her team. This is an office that's been staffed from outsiders. Uh, you know, Corey talked about the, the the staffers that were with you. I mean, if you look back to Ed Stelmack, that was his undoing. You know, everybody would go to Ed Stelmack's office and say that the problem's wrong, Glenn. Or, you know, the problem's wrong, Glenn. Uh, the problem was never wrong, Glenn. The problem was that they didn't have access to the premier. Uh, and that was the, you know, the, the way that they were trying to get it. So in this particular case, you know, Danielle's trying to figure out, I mean, even everybody up to and including her chief of staff is unknown to her, right? It's not somebody who was right there helping her actually get elected. Um, that's one of the reasons why you try to bring the people who are closest to you into office. Now, I'm a shining example of the failure of that. But in, for the most part, you're at least trying uh, to bring in people. You bring the people who got you there. And, uh, you know, Danielle hasn't brung any of those people. Uh, she doesn't have those people. And that, I think, is making for a very challenging um, environment for people to work in and for people to figure out where they fit. So that's kind of my initial take is that these aren't her people. And because they aren't her people, um, she doesn't know them and they don't know where they fit themselves. So if we see more, if we see any more, uh, it will be uh, a tremendous admission of defeat, I think. Well, so here's the here. Let me throw another narrative on the table just so we don't go recklessly speculate down we, one direction. Why wouldn't we do that all of a sudden? Like we've always recklessly speculated. No, you've always. Oh, recklessly. Okay. I mean, yeah, I guess me too. Yeah. But yeah, okay. It's also possible that Ryan didn't want to be there the minute Danielle Smith won, but Ryan didn't have an immediate option available and Ryan had a mortgage and Ryan had bills to pay. And so Ryan took a job that was offered to him because his alternative was leaving the government at that time. Yeah. Like we just don't know, right? And then a few months later, he gets his his ducks in a row. He finds the next thing he wants to do or he just says too much, right? Too much, too much and, and decides to leave there. But this is, you know – this is a time of reflection for staff and it's a time of reflection for elected officials as well. We talked about Pat Wren and uh, one of the reasons why he was keen to leave obviously was going to be his nomination could be challenging. If it didn't already happen, I actually don't know. Yeah. But 
Then there's the general, and on both Carter and I's lists, as we were comparing them on the last Patreon for the election preview, we both saw Lesser Slave Lake as like probably in the seats between 45 and 50 to fall, if you know, towards an NDP government. Part of that was because of Wren, though, right? And him leaving makes it more likely for the UCP to hold that seat. So it's the time. It's the time when the tough conversations happen with those people saying, you know, I actually don't think there's a place for you here. And it's also a time when you have the tough conversations with the premier and you say, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. We can expect more of it. And I think what she'll probably be doing is trying to frame it all as a narrative of, well, there's an election coming and people have to make choices and just bundle them all together and try to avoid the ones that are particularly messy and try to conflate them. You know, the, the, the one with staff, with Ryan, is, is messy. It's complicated. There's questions that come out of that. The one with Pat Wren, not so messy, not so complicated, not so many questions come out of that. So combine the two. And when somebody brings up Ryan Hassman, you say, well, yeah, let's not forget Pat Rand left too. Like this is a time people make choices and you just muddy the waters like that. Carter, on the, um, on, the, on the MLA front, do you think any of these guys will go to the feds and instead, instead they'll run federally? Well, I think that, uh, you know, for a while the Calgary Heritage um, nomination has been the most sought after nomination from sitting MLAs in Calgary. Uh, every every MLA virtually in Calgary you hear associated with the potential of running in Calgary Heritage. So I, I think that, you know, um, they're off cycle, though, right? Like the, the federal election just happened a year and a half ago. Um, you know, that being off cycle makes it more challenging to have the next place to land. So what they're probably trying to figure out now is where do they go? Um, if you were to leave the provincial government or the, yeah, the provincial government right now, you, you really don't have a place, right? You're going to sit idle for at least six months. Um, and that's a really difficult place for an aspiring politician. It is not a very difficult place for a retiring politician. And so I, I think that we will see people retire who, who leave politics altogether, but we will, the people who are going to stay, there'll be more people who stay than I would project or predict um, because they're just off cycle. And being off cycle means that, you know, you don't go without a pay. You can't go without a paycheck for, for two and a half years. It's just, you know, um, you know, with, with maybe the notable exception of uh, Jeremy Farkas, who's uh, out climbing all the mountains. Just like he's, you, Annalise, he's, he's climbing, climbing the fucking the, mountains. I'm actually going to climb a mountain with him on uh, Friday next week, Carter. So on purpose, there you or go. like you're being chased, or you're being forced to do something. Blink no twice gonna... if, you're, if this is some sort of <laughs> blink twice if this is something you uh, don't want to be no, doing. No, we're gonna, we're going to do a little hiking interview uh, for Go Outside, my Substack newsletter, Carter, and. Uh, yeah, it's yes, going to be your, good. Oh, nice promo of your Substack. <laughs> I used Didn't to see how I did that. Didn't we expressly prohibit the Substack? <laughs> Isn't that in the contract? Uh, just to jump back to one thing that I forget which one of you said it, Carter. It was probably you. So if it wasn't yeah. you, you can jump this to Corey. But just Was it stupid or smart? That's um, usually how, that's you, how you tell it, Carter. Yeah. Just walk me through um, what you want that stuff, what you want that office looking like. You know, right now, election in May, I, I, I'm no, I don't have the years of experience you do, but you would think that you want pe- a cohesive team and people that are loyal to you and that sort of thing. Like what, what should that office be looking like? And how, I guess, how big of a deal is it that it is, doesn't look like that? 
It's a big deal um, because what you want this office to look like is an election campaign. Um, you may not be campaigning. You may not actually have run the campaign yet. You're not inside the uh, the the you know the four week writ period, but the election's on. Right. The election's on right now. Everything that comes out of this government between now and um, May the 30th or May the 28th or whenever the date of the election is, is going to be election fodder. So you don't want um, you don't want a group of people who are interested in their, uh, you know, making things a three year plan. You're making things a three month plan. Everything is like that. And the other thing that we had, so this is very similar to Alison Redford in 2011, 2012. We also had people who brought together the caucus. We'd hired, um, uh, you know, Alan uh, McDonald, who was Gary Marr's campaign manager, because we needed someone to be able to talk to the 35 MLAs that had endorsed Gary Marr. Um, we brought in people who who were from inside, people who were from outside of government. We made sure that we knew every person in the government. We could pick up the telephone and call everybody that we needed to. I mean, right down to the fact that my executive assistant was Ron Glenn's executive assistant, because I needed someone who knew everybody in that government, because Lord knows I didn't know anyone. And she was able to, I mean, she was amazing help to me. That's the type of thing that you need is some, a group of people who are thinking about the election and a group of people who are thinking about how we can use the levers of government for that election. And are you saying she doesn't have either? I think that she's probably run into more um, institutional challenges than we did when we did, when we were there with Redford. I suspect um, that Corey Hogan's public service, uh, as much as they are um, trained professionals um, who, generally speaking, do not pick sides, I suspect that they are uh, waiting to see which side they're serving um, in mid-2023. So there's there's probably a lot of doors that are just simply opening slower. And I will leave it to the mighty uh, Corey Hogan to uh, contradict my statement on that. No, I, I agree with it. I don't think – so the public service truly does not pick sides in, in my experience, right? Like I think one of the funny things that occurs amongst political set is they assume everybody cares about politics as much as them and surely if they work in government, that must be the case. But a lot of public service, it's a job and they're doing it just like if they worked at Pepsi or for the Calgary Herald or for – IBM, whatever it may be, and and they may have like kind of a general affinity for their organization, but it doesn't mean they live or die these things. I I think interestingly, we are more able to assume that people just not even punch the clock, but just do their job and can compartmentalize in basically everything but government. But government is full of people who are just doing their job. Now, the reason why the public service often starts to slow walk things around this time of year is not because of any antipathy towards the governing party. It actually goes back to that I'm just trying to do my job thing. I want you to imagine any other workplace where you're handed a file and you know in four months any work you might have done on it was totally irrelevant and in fact probably hurt you because now you've got to reverse yourself and you've got to go back and do it again. It's simple workplace dynamics. Like if you know that this is this deep, ambiguous moment and that everything might be totally different in three months, where's your get up and go? You know, where's your sense of purpose on all of these things? Things naturally slow down around that time. And frankly, your job becomes a lot harder if you make it harder. 
if you decide that you're going to do all of these things and potentially have to undo them all for the next person who's going to say, well, why the fuck did you go so far with that? You knew there was an election coming. So there's a practicality that drives the, the public service slowing down on that. I just want to push. I totally. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I just want to push back on one thing you said there, Corey, with the public service not picking sides is how do you not pick sides when you have um, a premier who, when she was running, essentially said, I'm going to cut your jobs? Like how, how do you square that? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that's a fair point. Um that's a really interesting point. I'll tell you, as somebody who sort of sat there between a transition and all of a sudden there was a, a UCP government, I think if I was going to observe, I thought that the public service managed to flip to be not like not like partisans, but all of a sudden sort of being like, okay, this is what we're doing now pretty quickly. And um, people voting against their interest happens a lot more than you might think. And there were certainly, I mean, there's always been a lot of conservatives in the public service, despite the conservatives arguably not being, you know, deeply invested in the public service. But um, I, I guess one of the things that makes people compartmentalize, just say like, that's my politics. And again, maybe that's not the biggest part of their life. Maybe they wouldn't vote for them, but it's not going to change the way that they act at work is because that's really dangerous. And you don't want to stick your neck out like that either. So you're just going to kind of do your job, right? And uh, if your job allows you to slow walk because everyone's expecting change or because you've got to get transition documents ready anyhow, that's the other thing. Part of why it goes so slow right now is the public service is already really deep in another stream of work, which is very exhausting, which is getting ready for transition. Okay. Let's uh, let's leave it there. I like and... you taking Corey to task, though. That was fantastic. I can just no, I beat mean, the I, shit I, out of that. Interesting point. Don't let him get an ego. If he gets an ego, he's impossible <laughs> it's a to really work with. Interesting point because it's not as though they don't have opinions, oh, but... and it's not as though when they vote, they're not going to yeah, necessarily bias skip, one way or the other. You skipped over right? the easiest answer, and the easiest answer is it's always somebody else that's going to lose their job. Everybody has a sense that they are safe. No one else, you know, there's there's very few people in the in the public service that are sitting oh, around saying they would never cut me. Do yeah. you know how important it is? Yeah. The thing yeah. that I do is no, essential. And but some people must know that their job is less essential. Sure, but it's very far down. It's very far down. It's it's not like layer one. It's not the people who are actually now slow walking these things. The people who are on the, the front lines of the, the public service are doing the same thing they did yesterday. You know, they're processing as many people through, you know, through, through age or, you know, right now they're in the midst of trying to make sure that everybody gets their hundred bucks this month. Don't forget to apply, Annalise. There's a hundred dollars oh, sitting right there for you. <laughs> right. What a fucking nightmare. Corey's going to get like. I don't know. What do you get? Like fifteen hundred bucks for the number of kids. You're taking my next segment, Carter. Stop. Okay. Segway. 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 Jump in. Our next segment, (laughs) Danny Dollars, this week starts Wednesday. Mark your calendars, January eighteenth. You get to log onto this government portal. You apply six hundred dollars if you're eligible, um, and you'll get it in monthly installments of a hundred dollars. You can also go in person to any Alberta registry agent. Um, in total, about $900 million is going to go out. 2.5 million Albertans will benefit. Uh, Wednesday, what could go wrong is the question. So Stephen Carter, will it be smooth? Will people be able to log on easily and fill out their info and get their money? Or is it going to be a big old dumpster fire? When I uh, when I've done a new implementation of uh, technology, 
uh, Corey's always been my technology guy. So it's always gone super well. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a super easy process, especially for government. And this government, um, you know, has a history of not blowing it, uh, significantly, uh, and having it, you know, Thomas Dang, I, I think might be looking for another opportunity to break into the system. So, uh, I imagine him getting like some $15,000 a month or something, uh, just to prove that it can be done, not to do anything malicious. Of course, he would never do that. But I think that this is what, this is you know, this is a big rollout and choosing this path is more dangerous. And at least is it going to work perfectly? I don't know. My crystal ball is broken after the Jeb Bush situation, but nonetheless, <laughs> I'm still confident. The fact that Dan Elise didn't laugh, laugh at my Jeb Bush joke has me so upset right now. Um, it's okay. But I can add a laugh track after, but don't worry. Thank about you it. very much. 4730. Yeah. yeah. Laugh track. Um, but yeah, I think that I don't remember where I was going because Annalise didn't laugh at my joke, so I've lost my train of thought. You're really revealing how to bother you, Carter. I'm enjoying this. Uh, Corey, they've been working, they've said that they've been working on the system for two months, like developing this portal, that that's why it's been taking so long. It's not going to happen overnight. They've got to like do their due diligence, make sure it's safe and secure. Um, do you buy it? Is it is it going to be smoother? Are we going to have like many headlines about how people who need their $100 per month can't get it? I I don't believe it will be. Okay. First of all, they better have been working on an existing technology stack because if it's just from scratch in two months, government can't even get your Outlook calendar to sync in two yeah. months. That's just like, that's not a thing, right? Uh, but if, assuming they were working on some sort of solution that already existed, maybe they were building it for things like wildfires, government's often having to give out money, for example, when people have to evacuate. So let's just give them the benefit of the doubt and say they had something, they needed to modify it slightly, they were able to... To, to move forward. Will I be smooth? No, it's never smooth. By the way, those wildfire payments are never smooth. Just to give an example there, there's, there's always problems that arise that are unanticipated. And when you're doing it for the first time new, triply so. One of the things about government that I always like about government is that it, it's, you know, when it's working at scale and when it's ramped up, it generally works pretty well and people don't think too much about it. And it really takes something breaking badly to make them think about it. Like the passport office was chaos. How many people were thinking like on any given week, 70,000 passports have been issued forever, right? Like it just moves, it moves, it moves. And that's true of H. That's true of uh, driver's licenses. That's true of everything government does. But the ramping up of those things is always a nightmare. Is always a nightmare because it's the first time that government systems have to interact with other government systems, that somebody who's interested in defrauding the system is going to get a chance with it. They're going to be able to shake it out and see what money falls out of it. The start is tough. Government is, is a difficult startup environment. It's okay when it's established and it's moving forward. And so I don't know why any government would subject itself to creating a new process for such a signature initiative. Like it's a roll of the dice, even if they manage to make it work. It, it just doesn't seem like it's worth the risk. You know, one of the things you were saying to me that I didn't know is that you could go into an Alberta registry agent. What are they getting out of that? What is that costing us? What the hell are we doing well, on that? Well, uh, Corey, some people don't have computers. <laughs> well, that's true. So but, if yeah, you don't have registry, a computer. The registry you, debacle goes way back. Yeah. I mean, this is this has been money for friends for a long, long time. And uh you have to pay them. 
right? So that's a hundred. Do you know? It's a lot of money. Do you know who has phone phones though, and like phone yeah. numbers you can call? It's a little organization called the Canada Revenue Agency that would have been willing to give out that hundred dollars if uh, if we were so interested. That's where the interest is the is is the interesting choice. I mean, uh, yeah, we're already we've got. You know, people in our lives that qualify for this, right? And so my mother-in-law qualifies for this. She does. You'll be shocked to find out, Annalise. She does not have a computer. Uh, and if she did have a computer, we bought her an iPad once. Anyways, it's now my iPad because she couldn't use the iPad. Um, two-year-olds can use the iPad, but you know, Ruth couldn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired yeah. at the mother-in-law. My, my, yeah. my granny was the same. Cover. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you the thing. I'm gonna tell you something. She's not gonna Gross. fucking listen, is she? She's not listening. She doesn't have a computer. What's she listening on? Yeah, she I guess that's a good she point. She don't even yeah. know. She don't even <laughs> know. Give us all the dirt on Ruth. That's right, the, Ruth. Yeah. But, you know, how we're gonna apply for Ruth has been a topic of conversation in the house. Um, not one I paid attention to. I, I'm sure there's a solution, but well, now yeah, you can do the registry, the registry agent, and then great. ask them when you're there how. But I, how many people? Again. Like two months from now, if I'm the opposition, ask them what they're getting paid yeah. for each if, one. But two months from now, if I'm the NDP, I am just going around to, to seniors' homes and I'm asking seniors, or uh, I'm going to you know the long-term care or something along those lines. Did you get the money that you were owed? And I'm going to find people who are in wheelchairs and they're sick and they didn't get it because it's a new process that takes too long. And I'm going to trot those people out one after the other. And each hundred dollars is a failure on this government's point of view where it could have been Justin Trudeau's failure. That it could have been Justin Trudeau's failure. And instead, it's going to be Danielle Smith's. And that type of own goal in your last five months before the election is just fucking stupid. Do you think a hundred dollars though? Like it's a hundred dollars a month. Is that that's really going to make as big of a splash oh and impact God. as you're you are saying? Such an elitist, such an elitist. <laughs> Look who's coming from a double income family. Okay, you don't have mouths to no, little. Mo- this I, I, is a I, lot I of money for uh, a lot of people. Yeah. This is but a lot of it, money for a lot of people. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I kind of agree. Like $100 might be spreading it too thin. I don't know why they didn't do well, 600 that, Yeah, that's what once. I'm like, saying. Like, I'm, I'm not saying yeah. that that money's not going to make a difference. I get the 100 bucks. You're going to get it in your April. You're going to get when you May, June. $600 sounds a lot flashier. Like Ralph Bucks. Man, yeah. I was in junior high, I think, when those came out. And we all got $400. It was amazing. You were in junior high. Yeah. That I is was, the most upsetting I was in my 20s. I got $400. And what I did is I bought an iPod with it, and I was very excited. Yeah, iPod sales went through the roof so cool. in Alberta that month. What What do you do with your four hundred dollars, Carter? I don't know because I had like six hundred children at that point. Yeah. I'm sure we just put Gout it into medicine. diapers. Um, you know, like it was it was an expensive time of my life. <laughs> but the the okay, hold hold on, diapers. I don't know what we put. I want you to in. do some math here. How, what year was it? <laughs> I was like 2004, 2005, I think. Sammy, slow. Sam took a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Who were those guys? Keep in mind, in in 2012. That's right. He didn't say who they were for. That's a good point. He's just not answering the question. He's doing that thing that we teach in media training. What are you doing now? Listen, Uh, um, but, but, but I'll tell you something. Like when we did the Asian increase. We did the age increase in 2011, 2012, but when we sold it during the leadership in 2012, it was the idea that someone shouldn't necessarily be able to, you know, go to a movie and buy a bag of popcorn, but they should still be able to go to a movie. 
And those types of small ball, like keep in mind, we are a people that reacted to Bevo to sixteen dollars uh, glass of, of orange juice. A hundred dollars is going to mean something to a lot of people, and a poor person not getting it is going to be staggering, staggeringly challenging for the government to deal with. Yeah, but do, but but well, those listen, headlines. Nobody's disputing. Yeah, don't yeah, don't you? Like nobody's all, disputing yeah, the don't value. Don't you think those headlines? Them. I I agree. Great plan. I hope the NDP is listening. They should totally do this. But those headlines are going to be punchier when it says like poor senior didn't get six hundred dollars instead of their like the the splitting it up yeah. into hundred dollar increments. Doesn't matter. It's all the same. It all adds up to six hundred bucks at the end. You can oh, say six hundred bucks, or they haven't gotten a hundred bucks. It doesn't matter. the The money hasn't gotten to their into their pockets. It's gone somewhere into the provincial government that Danielle uh, Smith runs that is not working for the people of Alberta. That's all you need to say. Why are you guys making this so complicated? Why are you making it so hard? Why are you making it so complicated? You want it to be like separate payments. Just give them one payment, six hundred bucks. Oh, sure, I could. That's well, better. It's just it's going to get blown faster. So you are agreeing Ralph with Ralph Fox had been over at six. No, I'm agreeing with uh, yeah. Scott Reed and his, um, his comment that this is all about popcorn and uh, what was this? Beer, Beer and popcorn. popcorn. No, but here's the thing. If Ralph Fox had been $100 times four months, we would. you couldn't have told me that you bought an iPod with it because you wouldn't have saved the first, you know? That's just Right? The, so yeah. the it's splashier, the bigger number. That's how it works. Also, did you just throw out beer and popcorns? Wasn't that from like the 06 election? Yeah, it was the same election. Wasn't it the – it was the same election that uh, Warren Kinsella did, the one smart thing that he's ever done. Yeah, that was 17 years ago and that was not. The Warren Kinsella one was in the 90s. Was it really? But he only did one smart thing You got to really update your political references he's still, here. He's still a political <laughs> pundit? Holy fuck. <laughs> oh, no. It was Barney uh, the Dinosaur, if you're wondering, Annalise. It goes back to when you were in play was school. the year 2000. Yeah. It was election in the year 2000. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on that note, lightning round. I've been lightning told this round. is the thing that happens at the end of episodes. I don't know. I if, hope so. Uh, I hope you did a good yeah. job on it. Uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna segue into what we were just talking about, which is um, these payments. So when when the payments have come before, like the carbon tax, whatever, people always talk about what it shows up on your bank statement, right? Um, and I know it's a yeah. big thing with the was it the NDP their rebates and what it showed up, etc. If let's say you guys are running the Danny Dollar system, you're running the six hundred dollars. What uh, what is it showing up on people's bank statements? As what is your flashy branding that's super going to help them as we go into the election? Carter, let's start with you. Oh, starting with Carter, you bastard, Corey. Um, this is obviously going to be uh, some sort of government ease because that's the type of thing that uh, the Danielle Smith government's famous for. So it's going to just simply go in as government of Alberta miscellaneous payment. Um, and I think that that should be the one that, that shows up on people's bank statements. Because I can't think of that's anything that, better. That's what you're saying it should be? Well, no, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, is it what it should be? You, that you wasn't the question. listen to the question. You panicked. No, you didn't listen to the question. never listened to the question. <laughs> no. The question was, you're naming it. You're naming it. You're in charge. You, you're the strategist. You're in charge of what this is going to be called. It's going to help them win the election because people are going to be so pumped about the $600. What, what does it say on the bank statement? It's going to be called the, in, the inflation fighter. The uh, inflation fighter fighter payment. Okay, inflation fighter payment. Uh, Corey, you had a couple more seconds to think about that. What's it going to be called? Yeah, well, maybe I'll start by saying I 
I have the scars from us trying to figure it out with the bank during my time with government when there was the the carbon initiative that the NDP created uh, that landed in the bank account as like CRA debit or whatever it was. Like it, it just it, for the life of us, we could not figure out how to change it. I remember at one point saying, does somebody just need to hop on a plane to Toronto? Do we need to talk to a bunch of banks? But each of the banks got to determine this and the CRA system, there was something with it that – you know, they couldn't differentiate why it was coming from the CRA at that point. It's obviously resolved now because I don't know about you all, but uh, as Albertans, we got our, you know, climate incentive and it showed up as climate incentive in the bank. I think for the first time, at least for me, uh, in this most recent one here. But uh, assuming that the government of Alberta can figure it out and can get something on it, I actually think that you don't say inflation fighter. Uh, you know, it's, it's either, it's gotta be like, that's talking about the feature, not the benefit in some ways. Like it's gotta be, uh, you know, affordability, Alberta affordability or Alberta cares or Alberta cares about you. If you get that many characters, I don't know. I mean, that's getting really far into it, but you know, I, I think that there's an opportunity to actually talk about what the benefit is and what the policy intent is instead of just dropping it in in the name of the program. Okay, we should do a Twitter poll, Inflation Fighter versus Alberta Cares About You. Which one is better? <laughs> I'd like it to be who, who for the you Twitter, with the, new, get, the number four. Get that on the Twitter. Yeah, with that I don't have the password. Probably end. Zane. Yeah. yeah, where the fuck? Probably Zane. Chester and Zane have the password. Yeah, somewhere. Uh, lightning round, another week. We talked about it at the beginning, another walking back of comments from Premier Smith. Um, the question is simple. Yes, no question. Will she say something this week that she shouldn't have and then come out the next day and walk it back and correct it? Carter, yes, no. Well, she shouldn't, but she's probably going to. And I think that, you know, the, the, the framework of yes, no has always been something that angered me. So I prefer to say <laughs> she shouldn't, but she probably will. Corey? It, no, she's not going to. I think that. She has enough opportunity to avoid the media over the next bit. And if she's stacking an error upon error, even in this world we live in where she does that all the time, I don't I don't think that's likely. Okay. Second last one, another yes, no, because I know Carter likes them. And uh, we're going to go municipal. You may or may not have heard Calgary City Council has an exciting public hearing um, this week about single-use plastics. Business leaders have already voiced concerns. Um, yes, no. Does council end up going through with it? Corey? Uh, no. Carter? First of all, can I just say that Corey Hogan actually falling into your little trap of yes, no has really upset me. <laughs> uh, One word Corey, after. That's what we're going for. It's what he's doing around. is he's, he's taking the cheap way out. And the question really should be, is this really required given the federal government's implementation uh, starting December 30th uh, or 31st of its own single use plastic uh, requirements? My thinking is that this is just grandstanding by a city council that doesn't have any real vision. Um, so they will do the grandstanding, but they won't do anything visionary. They say. Oh, sorry. Mine was actually just the start of my answer because oh, okay. I could only use one letter, but no idea what city council is thinking at any time is my I believe answer. the actual yes. better answer is no idea city council is not thinking at any time. That's probably actually better. <laughs> They're saying it will work in tandem with the federal, um, the federal rules, which uh, we'll see what that actually means. Yeah, well, Last- what that means. 
Yeah. You know what that means? No. No, but well, you're smarter in, than we are. Get into the like, all-day public hearing and find out. Um, last one. It's about the outdoors. It's a topic oh, that was in the news a lot at the beginning of the week. Moraine Lake, um, the famous lake in Banff National Park. Is it overrated or underrated? Does it live up to the hype? Carter, Moraine Lake, overrated, underrated. I've always felt that if you could just get to Lake Louise, it's the same as going to Moraine Lake. There are so many better lakes to go to that people don't go to. So just go to Chester Lake or go to any of the other tens of thousands of lakes that we've got in the Rocky Mountains. Stay away from Moraine Lake. Stay away from Lake O'Hara as well. That's just slippery. It's slippery out there at Lake O'Hara. So you're saying it's underrated and it's on the same caliber as Chester Lake? There's so many lakes out there is what I'm trying to say, Annalise. Just go to the other lakes. Don't go where the people are. I don't like where the people are. Do you like where the people are? <laughs> the, the question was overrated or underrated. I no. think it is overrated, but do we? Lake? But here, let me ask you the question: Do you like where the people are? Answer the fucking question. No, no. Okay, uh, Corey, over <laughs> overrated, underrated. My wife took my kids to the lake and took a picture of them there once, and it looked pretty nice. So I assume it's a good lake. I don't. I don't know. Who can say? It's a long That's... way to go just to get a picture of your kids at a lake. You could have oh, gone. I didn't to have fish, to do it. You could have gone to Fish Creek. Yeah, same, same thing. thing. Maybe Fish Creek. Maybe I was at Fish yeah. Creek while they were at Moraine you, Lake. You could have just photoshopped that. They probably didn't even leave. Uh, yeah. We're going to leave all it about there. the geotagging, anyways, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a wrap on episode ten twenty nine of the Strategist. My name is Annalise Klingbeil, and with you as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. 